speech by Neville Chamberlain. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Speech given to the House of Commons on 1st September, 1939, by Neville Chamberlain. I do not propose to say many words to-night. The time has come when action rather than speech is required. Eighteen months ago, in this house, I prayed that the responsibility might not fall upon me to ask this country to accept the lawful arbitrament of war. I fear that I may not be able to avoid that responsibility. But at any rate I cannot wish for conditions in which such a burden should fall upon me, in which I should feel clearer than I do to-day as to where my duty lies. No man can say that the government could have done more to try to keep open the way for an honourable and equitable settlement of the dispute between Germany and Poland. Nor have we neglected any means of making it crystal clear to the German government that if they insisted on using force again in the manner in which they had used it in the past, we were resolved to oppose them by force. Now that all the relevant documents are being made public, we shall stand at the bar of history— knowing that the responsibility for this terrible catastrophe lies on the shoulders of one man, the German Chancellor, who has not hesitated to plunge the world into misery in order to serve his own senseless ambitions. Only last night the Polish ambassador did see the German Foreign Secretary, Herr von Ribbentrop. Once again he expressed to him what, indeed, the Polish government had already said publicly, that they were willing to negotiate with Germany about their disputes on an equal basis. What was the reply of the German government? The reply was that without another word the German troops crossed the Polish frontier this morning at dawn, and are since reported to be bombing open towns. In these circumstances there is only one course open to us. His Majesty's Ambassador in Berlin and the French Ambassador have been instructed to hand to the German government the following document. Early this morning the German Chancellor issued a proclamation to the German army, which indicated that he was about to attack Poland. Information which has reached His Majesty's government in the United Kingdom and the French government indicates that attacks upon Polish towns are proceeding. In these circumstances it appears to the governments of the United Kingdom and France that by their action the German government have created conditions, namely, an aggressive act of force against Poland threatening the independence of Poland, which call for the implementation by the government of the United Kingdom and France of the undertaking to Poland to come to her assistance. I am accordingly to inform Your Excellency that unless the German government are prepared to give His Majesty's government satisfactory assurances that the German government have suspended all aggressive action against Poland, and are prepared promptly to withdraw their forces from Polish territory, His Majesty's government in the United Kingdom will without hesitation fulfil their obligations to Poland." If a reply to this last warning is unfavourable, and I do not suggest that it is likely to be otherwise, His Majesty's Ambassador is instructed to ask for his passports. In that case we are ready. Yesterday we took further steps towards the completion of our defensive preparation. This morning we ordered complete mobilization of the whole of the Royal Navy, Army, and Royal Air Force. We have also taken a number of other measures, both at home and abroad, which the House will not perhaps expect me to specify in detail. Briefly, they represent the final steps in accordance with prearranged plans. These last can be put into force rapidly, and are of such a nature that they can be deferred until war seems inevitable. 
Steps have also been taken under the powers conferred by the House last week to safeguard the position in regard to stocks of commodities of various kinds. The thoughts of many of us must at this moment inevitably be turning back to 1914, and to a comparison of our position now with that which existed then. How do we stand this time? The answer is that all three services are ready, and that the situation in all directions is far more favourable and reassuring than in 1914, while behind the fighting services we have built up a vast organization of civil defence under our scheme of air-raid precautions. As regards the immediate manpower requirements, the Royal Navy, the Army, and the Air Force are in the fortunate position of having almost as many men as they can conveniently handle at this moment. There are, however, certain categories of service in which men are immediately required, both for military and civil defence. These will be announced in detail through the press and the BBC. The main and most satisfactory point to observe is that there is to-day no need to make an appeal in a general way for recruits, such as was issued by Lord Kitchener twenty-five years ago. That appeal has been anticipated by many months, and the men are already available. So much for the immediate present. Now we must look to the future. It is essential, in the face of the tremendous task which confronts us, more especially in view of our past experiences in this matter, to organize our manpower this time upon as methodical, equitable, and economical a basis as possible. We therefore propose immediately to introduce legislation directed to that end. A bill will be laid before you, which for all practical purposes will amount to an expansion of the Military Training Act. Under its operation, all fit men between the ages of eighteen and forty-one will be rendered liable to military service, if and when called upon. It is not intended at the outset that any considerable number of men, other than those already liable, shall be called up, and steps will be taken to ensure that the manpower essentially required by industry shall not be taken away. There is one other allusion which I should like to make before I end my speech, and that is to record my satisfaction of His Majesty's Government, that throughout these last days of crisis Signor Mussolini also has been doing his best to reach a solution. It now only remains for us to set our teeth, and to enter upon this struggle, which we ourselves earnestly endeavour to avoid, with determination to see it through to the end. We shall enter it with a clear conscience, with the support of the Dominions and the British Empire, and the moral approval of the greater part of the world. We have no quarrel with the German people, except that they allow themselves to be governed by a Nazi government. As long as that government exists, and pursues the methods it has so persistently followed during the last two years, there will be no peace in Europe. We shall merely pass from one crisis to another, and see one country after another attacked by methods which have now become familiar to us in their sickening technique. We are resolved that these methods must come to an end. If out of the struggle we again re-establish in the world the rules of good faith, and the renunciation of force, why, then even the sacrifices that will be entailed upon us will find their fullest justification. End of speech